and welcome to the Dogwood Podcast. We shine a light on the stories and issues that affect British Columbians in the place we call home. I am Noelle, Communications Coordinator. I'm Sophie, Pipeline and Tankers Campaigner. Hi, I'm Lisa, Democracy Campaigner with Dogwood. We're recording this episode from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tisleiltooth people. Our intro song today is from the press conference held by First Nations following the Federal Court of Appeals ruling on a number of cases brought forth by First Nations and other groups against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Today, I have Sophie and Lisa here to discuss the court's decision to quash the National Energy Board's permit approval and to discuss the upcoming referendum in BC on electoral form. And I want to start off by asking everybody how we are doing. Thumbs up from me. (laughs) I'm doing good. Um, My next question is, (laughs) where were you all when you learned about the decision on the Trans Mountain Pipeline permit? I live across the road from where the pipeline was proposed to go through. Um, and there's like a wetlands area with like a park. And so I was walking my dog there and looking at Twitter because I knew the announcement was coming. Um, so it was very fitting that I was standing in the place that um, that meant so much to me and my family um, and also was was going to be affected by by that project. I was in Jasper National Park on a backpacking trip in Treaty 6 and Treaty 8 territory. Uh, I woke up in my tent Thursday morning on mountain time and realized that somewhere in the country, most many Canadians knew uh, what the outcome of that was. And I tried not to think about it because (laughs) it made me very nervous. But that night at our next campsite, um, we had a satellite phone. Uh, on a trip with us for emergencies and my friend had been communicating with his mom just to let him know that we were all okay and I said I I don't I don't want to know and a couple minutes later he got a message back from her and said do you want to know if it's good news he told me that um, the federal court of appeal had quashed uh, the pipeline approval on the basis of failure to respect indigenous rights. I tackled him and almost threw him into a puddle. It was pouring rain that night. Um, but yeah, that was how I found out. And yeah, just feeling very overwhelmed with gratitude for all the nations and groups that brought those cases forward and just like relieved. I swear I felt lighter mm. climbing up the mountain the next day. <laughs> totally. The moral of that story is... Sophie needs to go on vacations more because big things happen. More backpacking in beautiful places. I'm into it. <laughs> yes. Noelle, where were you? I had just come home from walking the dogs and I just sat down expecting to hear not what we ended up hearing um, and was quite shocked. And it was kind of funny because the night before I was packing up all the camera equipment to cover the press conference the next day. It was like packing for a trip you didn't want to take. Uh, We have some clips from the press conference to play for you all right now. Good morning, each and every one of you. I come here to speak on behalf of the Squamish Nation Council and the Squamish people. Today, we won in court against this project. I cannot begin any words to express our feeling of elation and happiness and joy and what the courts have found around the arguments that the Squamish Nation made from day one. 
that the process was flawed, that the consultation was inadequate, that the Trudeau government did not respect our rights as a people. This project cannot proceed based off this court order. Indigenous people have won. This project is stopped in its tracks right now. They must behave honorably. They must go back to the drawing board. This whole process must be restarted. We are so grateful today to stand before you, to stand on our land here in our inlet, our beautiful territory. And I call on, the, on everybody to remind the Prime Minister and this government to respect Indigenous rights, to listen to us, to know what it means to have a right relationship by our own standards, because that is not what we have today. Stop picking fights with Indigenous people. Behave honorably. Respect us. That's all we're asking for. It's a great day today. We won right from the beginning. We always said water is life. Water is sacred. They can say they consulted, but they never, ever, ever got our consent. And all of the people who stood at Burnaby Mountain, all of the people that stood at Mount Robson and the uh, Bar Thompson Park, along the route in Coldwater and Seabass, all the people along that route now can say that decision for National Energy Board was flawed, that cautiousness pipeline, and we're going to be out there protecting the land and the water. We're going to continue that work. The unholy alliance between the government of Canada and the resource uh, sector in attempting to take shortcuts to get to yes. So today, uh, my um, faith in the judicial system has been somewhat restored, but I've been around the block, and this is not my first rodeo. <laughs> and I know that this fight and this battle will continue. It will continue day by day, month by month, year by year before we can finally stand back and, and say that uh, BC is off limits for toxic resource development uh, projects that do not respect the land and the waters of British Columbia, do not uh, respect the coast of British Columbia, and the rights, the human rights, and the interests of all British Columbians and Indigenous peoples in this country. That was Kalsilam from the Squamish Nation, Chief Lee Spahan from the Coldwater Nation, Chief Judy Wilson of Nisconleth, and Grand Chief Stuart Phillip from the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. Sophie, could you please tell us what exactly happened Thursday and on how the Federal Court of Appeal ruled? The Federal Court of Appeal found that Trudeau violated the constitutionally protected rights of First Nations, um, failed to adequately consult them. So this was a win for the Tsleil-Waututh Nation, Squamish Nation, uh, the collective Stolo Bands, um, Coldwater, Upper Nicola, and Kamlipsk-Tsleil-Waututh Nation. The courts found that this consultation was inadequate. One of my favorite quotes is just simply, more was required of Canada. Um, so they found that throughout the consultation process, um, the officials that had been sent for the government were just basically glorified note takers. There was no meaningful back and forth engagement that addressed the substantive concerns and proposals the nations were putting forward. Um, so again, to quote, uh, Canada was required to do more 
then receive and understand the concerns of Indigenous applicants. Canada was required to engage in a considered, meaningful, two-way dialogue. Which like doesn't seem like a very high standard, but they failed even at that. Um, so the remedy that the court has ordered is that now the federal government has to go back and restart that whole last substantive phase of consultation that's not just with the six First Nations that filed legal challenges, that's with all of the nations that would be affected by this pipeline and tanker project. So that's piece one around uh, failure to respect Indigenous rights. Um, they, we also won, um, and by we, I mean, uh, in this case, Living Oceans, Raincoast, and Ecojustice, the groups that brought th- this part forward, um, on the ground of just the total failure of the NEB process to look at the risks of oil tankers, especially for the southern resident killer whales. So what the court found was that the NEB was, and I quote, so flawed that it was unreasonable for the governor and council to rely upon it end quote. Basically, what happened was the NEB decided that marine shipping was outside of the scope of their review. Uh, They actually found that oil tankers would pose significant risks for the southern resident killer whale population, which was under threat. But they said that wasn't part of the review. And so by Trudeau using their review and the conclusions to approve this project, basically the process as many people have been saying all along, was so broken that uh, the Trudeau government couldn't legally use it as justification for approving the project. So that's a huge win for the whales and their legal champions. What that now means is that Trudeau has to go back and redo all those broken pieces of the review process. And I also think it's a pretty glorious indication of Trudeau's broken promises coming back to haunt him. Yeah, it's incredibly timely because it was only weeks before that we were seeing that mama orca carrying around her dead baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was another juvenile mm-hmm. who was also sick. sick. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, it just keeps getting, the population just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And, mm-hmm. and for the government to ignore that is, is just, it's heartbreaking to people on the coast mm-hmm. who love the whales. But just like, you can't claim to care about science and champion science if you're if you're making decisions not based on science. Mm-hmm. So, Sophie, so far we've talked about the federal approval, but there was also a provincial certificate and I'm wondering if you could speak more to what that this decision means for that certificate. Yeah, well, I mean, overall construction now has to stop. Construction can't continue without a federal certificate. But yeah, it's you know worth remembering Christy Clark government did issue, issue a BC environmental assessment certificate for this project. And the way the justification for that BC environmental assessment certificate is the exact same NEB review process that the federal court just found was not a reasonable basis to approve this project based on. You know, the federal approval is now quashed. The B.C. government should, by that same token, look at the court ruling from the federal court of appeals, realize that um, the basis for the former B.C. government's own approval was also flawed. And I think that's why a lot of folks are asking for a new meaningful uh, provincial assessment as well that addresses the gaps, addresses things like climate change, actually respects indigenous rights under a new and stronger environmental review process. I want to know why the government would buy a pipeline before they could learn about the ruling. I mean, it definitely speaks to why Kinder Morgan was so desperate to get this pipeline off their hands, right? They were facing opposition from the BC government. They were facing protests. uh, And they also knew all along that all of these court cases were looming over them and could mean game over, immediate halt to all their construction plans at any point. Kinder Morgan knew that. The federal government knew that. 
so yeah, I think it is absolutely appalling that the federal government would put taxpayers at the type of risk that Kinder Morgan doesn't want to put their shareholders at. So the purchase of the Trans Mountain line was finalized um, right after this court decision came out. So Within 24 hours. Yeah, like immediately. So we all own it now. It's called the Trans Mountain Corporation. It's our newest crown corporation. Conservative MP Shannon Stubbs has asked for justification from Ottawa, and they haven't given justification. Uh, do you know why that might be? Like, it's hard to understand what is going on in this liberal government's brain. That They would take a position with respect to this pipeline that is so widely opposed by progressives who care about climate change or indigenous rights. Also, like, fiscal conservatives, like, a large fraction of the political spectrum is riled up by about this decision to buy this pipeline with public money, now talking about finding ways to restart construction again as a crown corporation with taxpayer dollars. Yeah, even Christy Clark is saying they shouldn't have bought the pipeline. <laughs> what are they doing? So what options do the federal government have going forward in terms of the pipeline expansion? You know, they've said all along that they care about the rule of law. They use that argument to try to put the B.C. government in its place when the B.C. government wanted to, you know, do a provincial review of the risks of diluted bitumen, what happens when it's spilled before communities are exposed to more risk. But now when it comes to a federal court saying your permits are invalid, they seem to be talking, like trying to find ways to bypass this. But the truth is, at the bare minimum, as I said, they have to go back and redo their consultation with all the affected First Nations. They have to go back and review the risks from oil tanker expansion. And those things mean that they won't get to start construction again, I would say, before the 2019 election. The court has been very clear that more was required of Canada. And so I think we should expect our government to do that now. And I think we should hold them to a much higher standard, even than what the courts is saying, right? Because looking just back at Trudeau's own election promises, he promised to fully implement the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And that means our standard for interaction between the Canadian government and Indigenous folks should be free prior and informed consent. We're talking about authentic nation-to-nation -nation engagement. That's what was promised to voters. Uh, so I think that's what we should be holding Trudeau to as we look at him restarting that process again. Yeah, speaking of broken election promises, mm -hmm. I came to Canada in 2015 right as the federal election was ramping up, and I was pretty excited about Trudeau because of a lot of the ideas he was campaigning on, one of them being better relationship with First Nations and uh, finding a path towards reconciliation and also implementing the UN Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. Um, he also campaigned that that election would be the last time we would see a first-past-the-post system, a winner-take-all system, essentially. And, and Lisa, I'm wondering maybe if you could speak a little bit more to that in terms of um, where we are now with the Trudeau on that promise. Yeah, um, a lot of broken promises out of this government. Uh, we just talked 
about Kinder Morgan and, and Sophie mentioned um, Kai's interview with Justin Trudeau pre pre Prime Minister. Um, we're disappointed on his like new nation to nation relationship with First Nations, on his climate promises, the missing and murdered Indigenous Women's and Girls Inquiry, and electoral reform is on that list as well. Justin Trudeau said, and it's actually still on the Liberal website, which I find funny, that 2015 would be the last election using First Past the Post. They did consultations, uh, as this government does, and the panel responsible for that made recommendations, and the Trudeau government came back and said, no, we will not be changing the voting system, which was... Uh, possibly, yeah, one of the first first broken promises on this campaign, aside from redoing the review. It's really hard. It's especially hard in BC because I feel like we've been ignored. Trudeau's turned his back on us so many times. And, and just going into a referendum on electoral reform this fall seems especially fitting um, now that he's sort of had this this federal court of appeal decision turned against him and and hopefully we'll have a proportional representation in BC as well. So I think we're teaching him a lesson about what we're capable of over here. And hopefully it's a bit of a warning shot to him come 2019. Mm. Yeah, so let's say the referendum on electoral reform comes this fall. We vote yes on proportional representation. And now we have this system in place. What does it mean for politicians like Trudeau trying to get into office on false promises, but also false majorities? Essentially, when proportional representation is implemented in BC, it'll apply to only provincial elections, whereas federal elections will continue under our current system. So it won't apply exactly to him. Um, What we do hope is that it would hold politicians more accountable because it would eliminate what we call safe seats, which are politicians who usually match the ideology of the majority of voters in their writing. Um, so it would make them actually have to do the things they say and make promises that reflect the needs of their community, which is something that doesn't happen under the current system. I'm, I'm sure we can, we can all appreciate that at this point. Just in regards to false majorities, politicians can get in with less than 50 percent. I mean, less than less than 40 percent in some cases, which means that the majority of people did not vote for that politician, which is now their voice in, in legislature. Um, and, and this is like a completely nonpartisan thing. There are people who maybe have conservative ideologies that aren't being aren't having their thoughts um, and needs represented with a, a left wing government like we have in B.C. So I think it really just impacts everybody and, and how much say we have. How might proportional representation help erratic shifts in environmental policy? It prevents politicians from getting in and feeling that they're safe and and making decisions that they didn't campaign on or that their actual constituents didn't want um, because they're they're actually being held accountable in the next election or or throughout the year. and like so many times we've seen politicians probably with good intentions enter politics and then get, I always call it like a heart of darkness. They get sucked into this like world of lobbyists and, and big donors um, and and they sort of lose that connection to their community. Christy Clark's approval of Kinder Morgan was a really good, good example where um, big donors may have had more influence in that decision than the actual people on the ground who have to deal with the consequences. And I think... Like when it comes to the core of like what Dogwood believes in as an organization, you know, our mission is to help everyday British Columbians reclaim decision making power over our environment and democracy. And as a young climate activist, I I believe that the decisions 
our government make around climate, environment, land, and water will be stronger if our democracy is healthier and if more people are participating. And I think what we're seeing now is there's so many young people that are disillusioned by the current system, don't see, you know, a candidate that could win in their riding that they'd ever want to vote for, and so don't turn up at the polls. So I think one of the things that makes me most hopeful about a new electorals system for BC about proportional representation is more people getting involved, you know, higher voter turnout from young people because everyone will be able to feel like their vote counts. And I think in a system where that's happening, where more people, especially more young people are participating, yeah, we're going to be able to hold politicians accountable for stronger environmental outcomes. So, so far we've been talking about proportional representation in British Columbia, and I'm wondering if pro-rep is implemented anywhere else in Canada at the provincial or municipal level. So PEI had a, a referendum on this, um, and the uh, sorry, the province overwhelmingly voted in favor of changing to a proportional representation system. The problem was voter turnout was so low that when it got to the government to actually legislate it, they said, well, it's, it's actually not reflective of what the population wants, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a good lesson for us to take here, that everybody should vote um, to make sure this this actually, the government can't get away with this. Politicians, they want to keep the system the same. Christy Clark actually said this. She said, you know, we liked first past the post. Why would we ever change it? It benefits us. It's really important that people vote, but it's also important that we hold politicians to their promise to actually implement it because PEI continues to have a first past the post system. I should say in the world, out of Western democracies, Canada, the U.S., and Great Britain are the only countries who do not have some sort of proportional representations. And if you look at countries like the U.S., who we share that title with of of continuing to have a first-past-the-post system, it's obviously not, not the best example of what we should strive for as a democracy. And I think the cool thing about BC is that I don't know. As a British Columbian, I like to think we're kind of at the cutting edge of a lot of things in Canada. Um, So yeah, this doesn't exist anywhere else in the country. Let's show them how it's done. Yeah, we were like one of the first provinces to get suffrage for women. We were the first province to get suffrage for First Nations people. We were the first one to lower the voting age to 19, where the rest of the country was 21. BC is, we're like a forerunner in democracy, and we should continue to hold that standard. Let's do it. Yeah, so my next question is, how, how, how do we vote on this? The first step is to update your voter registration. If you have moved, if you have never voted before, um, if you want to just double check, um, you should update your voter registration. This is a mail-in ballot, so you need to receive the envelope to your house, which means you need a current address on file. Um, So that's the first step. October 22nd, you'll receive um, like a, a ballot in the mail, fill it out, mail it back before... 4.30 p.m. on November 30th. So you got a lot of time. If you lose your ballot, if you don't have a fixed address, if you need some assistance, um, there'll be offices set up in communities that you can go um, to complete your ballot at um, or get a new one. Um, It's going to be very easy and accessible to vote. Um, There will be two questions um, in the referendum. One is, would you like to keep the current system or change your proportional representation system? Um, Obviously, I think you should vote for, for a proportional representation system. The second question is about different types. Um, so there's three different options. You don't have to vote on that question. Um, you can vote just for a proportional representation system. And the reason I say that is 
all options are better than what we currently have. Um, so please vote on the first question at the very, very least. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the three options on the second questions, Elections BC has really great resources for you to, to help you make that decision. And we're linking to lots of those great resources in the show notes. Check them out. And if you want help, if you're like, oh, this sounds really overwhelming, go to votebc.ca and sign up with us and we will guide you through every step of the process. Well, I'm excited. And I'm excited. I want to get involved. <laughs> we're getting other people to vote yes on ProRep. What do I do? Yeah, that's the next step. So like helping. So we don't have those voter turnout problems. Um, and because I care about this and I want my friends to care about it too. Um, we are recruiting volunteers to help us. There's two ways you can support um, voter turnout. Uh, one is through our relational voting program, um, which is really exciting. And the second is through, um, we're doing call banks, so you can call people around the province and ask them to make sure they fill out their ballot. And here to talk more about the relational voting program is Cheryl, our provincial organizer for the North Shore Ridings, Burnaby, New Westminster, and the Tri-Cities. Welcome, Cheryl. How are you? Hey. Hi, Noelle. Nice to be here. Thank you for coming to chat with me about relational voting. I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what relational voting is? Yeah, totally. I'm so excited to share this with you today. Um, so relational voting, as it sounds, as the words sort of uh, sound, uh, very simply is just leveraging a person's own relations to um, increase voter turnout. So um, certainly at, uh, in, usually at, in GOTV uh, times before, that's get out the vote times before elections, we tend to do things like a little bit of canvassing, a lot of phone banking, reaching out to our database, people in our database who are like-minded and asking them to uh, make sure they get out and vote. And in that case, we do that in a nonpartisan way. Um, it, in this case, with the upcoming referendum, we're able to um, not just go to our database, but uh, map out a, a, um, uh, a, a kind of list of people that are our own personal connections, our own personal networks, um, and talk to them about the importance of this referendum, why uh, it's time for electoral reform in BC, why it's an incredibly important opportunity for us to take advantage of, uh, talking to your friends or people, friends, neighbors, relations, people that you know is twice as effective as talking to strangers. So uh, whereas if you're in a phone bank and calling people, even if you know that those people are like-minded um, because they've uh, possibly signed a petition or they have a certain a similar stance in, in, um, on an environmental issue, um, talking to your own uh, peer group um, is, is extremely effective. People are influenced by those that they are most closely connected to in society. And who can get involved with relational voting? Well, as you might guess, it can be anyone. So um, it's really any voter in BC um, who feels strongly about this referendum. And usually, in my experience so far, anybody who learns about it is feeling strongly about it. Um, can um, can get involved with Dogwood, uh, reach out to us, um, go to our website. They can also just reach out to us by email to, to learn more about it. 
um, and we can help them to, um, to take part either online or um, just in an analog way, just using a hard copy um, sign-up sheet. Um, so I'll just describe it really briefly. To go to our website, you just go to organize.votebc.ca and um, you will get to a sign-up page where you just have to create an account. It's just um, like a 10-second uh, exercise. That will take you into our um, main interface and it's, um, it's super simple, very straightforward, and it will show you in four easy steps how to, um, how to get involved um, with relational voting. So people, that website will allow people to keep a list. So say you want to go to your family dinner this weekend um, and talk to a couple of your relatives, but you also have someone in your book group that you're interested in talking to, and then you meet some people in your yoga class. And before long, you've got, you know, a kind of a, an uh, an awkward number of people that you're trying to keep track of, but you are kind of committed to make sure that all of those people get to the point where they're mailing their ballots in to vote yes on proportional representation. What our website does is it provides you with a an ongoing list of all the people that you've reached out to. All those people need to do is just fill in a very simple, you send them a link, they fill in a very simple like three or four line um, form, and then um, it allows you to know who it is that you've reached out to, where they're at in terms of are they registered to vote, have they received their ballot, and then will they have they sent their ballot in. So, um, so that's my first point, is that it's actually very simple to, to use the online tool. Um, but if you uh, are someone who doesn't even like to turn on a computer and really don't want to have anything to do with it, um, you can just simply um, email one of us organizers at Dogwood and uh, we will be happy to um, sort of lead you through doing it without a computer. Can you remind us, uh, where can people go to learn more about the Relational Voting Program? Absolutely. If you go to um, organize.votebc.ca, so that's O-R-G-A-N-I-Z-E, dot vote bc dot ca um, then that will take you through to signing up and getting to our website and learning all about um, relational voting and how you can take part great i will be sure to include all the information in the show notes thank you so much cheryl i am so excited for the referendum this fall and the opportunity to vote yes on pro-rep or proportional representation because it means that we'll have a much more representative democracy here in BC specifically. Um, and I'm ready to motivate my friends to do the same as well. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. But before we go, Cheryl, did you know that ears are good for listening to podcasts? I learned that recently. And in the spirit of relational voting, if your ears like what they heard, Please, 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 please tell your friends to check us out and let them know about proportional representation in the referendum this fall. Um, and be sure to check out organize.votebc.ca. That's all for now. Ciao. Bye, guys.